0: clarity of mind and the energy that I need to be able to preach your Bible. Lord, help us to be able to uh, learn from this passage, Lord, to have open hearts and open minds to things that we may have never heard before or seen before. Father, I pray that you'd please bless this service and help it to be a time of growth and learning. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. right, we're there in Isaiah chapter 14, and we're going to primarily deal with the subject of Lucifer in this chapter, the only place in the entire Bible, the King James Bible, that you find the name of Satan as Lucifer. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob, and will yet choose Israel, and set them in their own land. And the strangers shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. Some people, uh, I'm not preaching about this, but I just did want to mention it. Some people believe that this verse uh, is is a prophecy that was fulfilled in 1948 when Israel became a nation uh, again. uh, And they were placed there by the U.N., But that's not exactly what this verse is referring to. When he says they will set them in their own land, this was a prophecy that was actually fulfilled 70 years after the Babylonian captivity, when uh, they were allowed, remember they were allowed to go back into the land. Remember the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, how they came back from the captivity into the land, they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the walls. That is when this verse was actually fulfilled. Uh, 1948, it was not a fulfillment of this, but if if you look at verse 2, the Bible says, and the people shall take them, and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord, for servants and handmaids, and they shall take them captives whose captives they were, and they shall rule uh, over their oppressors. Now, if you remember last week, we were in chapter 13, and we were dealing with the day of the Lord, and the destruction of Babylon, and we were talking about how Isaiah was uh, literally Talking about the Babylon of his day and the destruction that would come, but he then began to prophesy about a co- other Babylon, a coming Babylon that we read about in the Book of Revelation, which is the Antichrist kingdom, the one world government, one world religion. And we we, we uh, cross reference all the verses; it was pretty clear from Scripture that he was not just talking about that historical Babylon. Well, in chapter fourteen, we're continuing that prophecy. If you look at uh, the first word in verse one, he says. And he's uniting these two chapters. And in chapter 14, in chapter 13 we dealt with Babylon, the government, the city, the religious institution. In chapter 14, we're going to deal with the leadership of Babylon. And he's talking about the Babylonian king of his day. But he begins to talk about Satan. And something you need to understand about uh, uh, about the Bible when it talks about Satan and Lucifer is that God often will use a metaphor of a worldly, a human king in order to be to, to kind of give us insight into the true king of this world, which is Satan. Notice verse 3. And it shall come to pass. In the day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou was made to serve that thou shalt take up this proverb, notice, against the king of Babylon. So he says, I'm speaking about the king of Babylon, and saying, how the oppressor has seized, the the golden city ceased. So, here's what I'm trying to understand. Prophets, the, the prophet here, Isaiah, is beginning to talk about the king of Babylon, but, but he, he's going to apply the things that he's talking about. It, it doesn't just, uh, some of it applies to the king of Babylon, but he's talking about Satan, and he's using uh, the king of Babylon as a metaphor. And let me kind of just show you how that has been used uh, other times in scripture. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 14. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel 28, you're in Isaiah. You got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. And and when you get to Ezekiel, find Ezekiel 28 and put your bulletin or a bookmark or something in Ezekiel 28 because we're going to come back to it later on in the in the sermon. In Ezekiel 28, we find another passage that gives a lot of insight about Satan, and uh, but let me show you the metaphor that God likes to use, the word metaphor means a figure of speech in which a term or phrase is applied to something to which it is not literally applicable in order to suggest a resemblance, and that's what God often does when talking about Lucifer or Satan, he he talks about an earthly king, but he's not really talking about that earthly king, he's talking about the guy that controls that earthly king which is Satan, and let me show you that in Ezekiel 28, look at verse 11, Ezekiel 28 in verse 11, the Bible says moral over, the word of the Lord came unto me saying this is the prophet Ezekiel, son of man, take up a lamentation upon notice the king of Tyrus. So he's, he's talking about the king of Tyrus but notice what he says about the king of Tyrus and say unto him thus saith the Lord God thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty Now look I don't think the King of Tyrus was perfect in beauty. Notice Luke, look at verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. I don't think the king of Tyrus had actually been in the garden of Eden. But who had been in the garden of Eden? Satan. We know that in the garden of Eden there was three individuals. Adam, Eve, and the serpent, Satan. So he's talking about Satan, but he's he's using the king of Tyrus as a metaphor he said, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx the, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald and the carbuncle and gold the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created, thou art the anointed cherub, I don't think that the king of Tyrus was an anointed cherub but we know that Satan was that covereth and I have set thee so that thou was upon the holy mountain of God. God. I don't think that the king of Tyres had been in the holy mountain of God in heaven. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. So I want you to see that in Ezekiel, we learn about Satan, and we're going to come back to Ezekiel, so keep your place there. But there's a metaphor used of the king of Tyres. In Isaiah 14, if you make your way back to Isaiah 14, He's talking about the king of Babylon, but he begins to transition and he's not really talking about the actual king of Babylon. He's talking about Satan. Uh, look at verse number 5, Isaiah 14 and verse 5. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He that ruled the nations in anger and persecuted and not hindered. It. Now, the king of Babylon was the king of the known world at the time. So that statement, he that ruled the nations in anger, might apply to the actual king of Babylon, but it also applies to Satan. You don't have to turn here, if, you'd like, if you're taking notes, you'd like to take notes, maybe write down these references, but in John chapter number 12 and verse 31, also chapter 14 and verse 30, and chapter 16 and verse 11, that's John twelve thirty-one, fourteen thirty, and sixteen 11, the Bible calls Satan the prince of this world. In Ephesians 2.2, he's called the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, he's called the god of this world, lowercase g, the god of this world. So see, Satan is the one who's running this world right now. And it definitely applies to him that he has ruled the nations in anger. Notice verse 7. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing, Yea, the fir trees rejoice. Now again, he's using a metaphor. The, the trees are not actually speaking here. But he says, The fir trees rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller. The word feller means someone who would cut us down. He says, No feller has come up against us. Hell from beneath is moved to thee, to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they shall uh, speak and say unto thee, Art thou Also become weak as we, art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of the vials. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms come to thee. He's talking about the fact that this king is going to be brought down, and people are going to look, other kings are going to look at this king, and say, are you become weak like one of us? Now notice verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? We're told that the word Lucifer means light-bearer. And I don't know if that's true or not, but the, the rest of the verse says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Make note of that phrase, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nation? Now, just because we like to prove everything from the Word of God, uh, keep your finger there in Isaiah, and go to the, the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, in the New Testament, Luke chapter number 10. You, you may, you probably aren't asking this question, but somebody may ask this question, How do we know that Lucifer is Satan? And that's a valid question. In Isaiah 14.12, the Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? In Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus references the fall of, say, uh, of Lucifer, but notice how he says it. Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, And he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Do you see that? So we know Lucifer is falling from heaven. Jesus said, yeah, I saw him fall. I saw Satan fall from heaven. So Jesus himself called him Satan. So we know Lucifer and Satan are the same individual. Now, the question is this. When did Satan fall from heaven? Or, the question may be better stated, when will Satan fall from heaven? Today there are many Christians, and I I want to try to teach you this from the Bible. Go to the book of Revelation. I feel like as we've been preaching through the book of Isaiah, I've been uh, teaching an eschatology class or something. You know, eschatology is the, the, the... The doctrine of the end times. And I didn't realize how much Isaiah talks about end times prophecy. But it seems like every chapter we're talking about the Antichrist. Or the, the one world government. One world religion. And Isaiah 14 is no different. Revelation chapter 12. Today, most Christians believe that Satan has fallen. If you ask... The average Christian, and you say, you know, has Satan fallen from heaven? Most Christians say, oh yeah, Satan fell from heaven. But I want you to to to, to look at what the Bible says and, and be open minded about it. And just uh, whenever I teach something like this, maybe a little different than what you've heard in the past, I just ask this: oh, op- have an open mind, look at the verses, look at the evidence, and make a decision at the end. But in Revelation chapter 12, we are told exactly when it is that Satan falls from from heaven. In Revelation chapter 12... Now, just just to help you kind of understand the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is divided into two parts. You've got chapters 1 through 11, which which basically tell the story of, of end times. And then at chapter 12, it starts over. And from chapter 12 to the end of the book... We basically begin to tell the story again. And God does it that way because as you compare both parts, you get a lot of insight into what's being taught. And it's not unusual for God to do that. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, and 1st, 2nd Chronicles all deal with a lot of the similar stories just told in different ways. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us a lot of the same stories and they overlap. And as you study together, you get insight into it. That's what Revelation does for us. The first part overlaps with the second part, gives us insight into what's going on. So I want you to understand, at Revelation chapter 12, we're basically beginning again, and Verse. Notice verse 1. Are you there in the book of Revelation? The last book in the New Testament. Should be fairly easy to find. In Revelation chapter 12. And look at verse 1. The Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now, this woman represents the nation of Israel, or the people of Israel, and, and really it's a representation of the people of God. If you remember Joseph... Uh, had a vision and a dream of the nation of, uh, of Israel and how they would, and basically the, the, the brothers, his brothers, the actual children of Israel, but not the tribes but the actual children of Israel, and how they bowed down to And if you remember in that dream, he dreamt that the sun and the moon and the 12 stars bowed down to him, or the 11 stars bowed down to him. This is all a picture of God's people. And notice, there was a woman clothed with the sun. And the moon under her feet, and upon her head the crown of twelve stars. We have Israel. Verse two. And she being with child. Now that child is the Lord Jesus Christ. And she being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Because Jesus did come from the physical, you know, nation of Israel. He was physically uh, a descendant of Abraham and David. He was a Jew. So this woman gave birth to this child, Jesus, and cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon. The red dragon is Satan. I don't have time to develop it. You can do the cross references, but dragon is always Satan in the book of Revelation. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Look at verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Those are the fallen angels, the devils or the demons. Remember, He took a third of the angels with Him and they became what we know today as devils or demons. Demons. And His tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, verse 4, and it cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Remember if, uh, the Christmas story? We sang a Christmas song tonight. Remember the Christmas story where Jesus, when He was born... They attempted to have every child that was two years old and under killed. Why? Because Satan was ready to devour the child as soon as it was born. Satan wanted to make sure that this child did not survive. Satan wanted to make sure that this child died. Look at verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child. That's Jesus who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. If you cross-reference that phrase, a rod of iron, and I don't have time to do it tonight, we have a lot more to look at, but if you cross-reference that rod of iron, you'll find that that is the Lord Jesus Christ ruling the nations. And her child was caught up unto God and to His throne. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven after uh, His resurrection. So this is all talking about Jesus. Look at verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God, and that they should feed her there, notice this, a thousand two hundred and threescore days. A thousand two hundred and threescore days. That's one thousand two hundred and sixty days. Now if you follow a thirty day, like type of a lunar calendar, you will figure out, if you do the math quickly in your head, that that is forty two months, or three and a half years. Now that that number ought to, ought to just stand out to you as a that's a, a big number in end times prophecy, known as the time of, of tribulation or the first part of the of Daniel's seventieth week or whatever. But but notice the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Now notice this, okay? When she goes into the wilderness to be fed of God and to be protected by God for those three and a half years. At that point, in verse 7, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels. And prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the dragon was cast out. Do you see that? The dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan. God wants to make sure we know who he's talking about. Which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So let me ask you a question. According to Revelation chapter 12, when was Satan and his angels cast out of heaven? It was at this time of the 2,203 score days which was end times prophecy, which is tribulation time. Notice verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and kingdom and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of earth. Make note of this in verse 12. Woe to the inhabitants of earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that is that he have but a short time. When the devil is cast out, he comes down to earth, the Bible says, with great wrath. He's very angry, because he knows that he has a short amount of time. What is that amount of time? Oh, 1,200 three-square days. Now notice verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth... Okay, when he saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman. Now, who's the woman? It's God's people. Because notice, which brought forth the man child, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that he might fly into the, that uh, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for. Make note of this. This is all. And I wish I had the time to just develop all of it, but I, I just don't. But this is this is all end times verbiage. Notice where she is nourished for notice this a time and times plural with an S and half a time. you see that? Now we know that there are two thousand know, I'm sorry, I keep things down. One thousand two hundred three score days, which would be forty two months or three and a half half years. If you look at the word time as a year, notice you have a time, which is one year and times, plural, which would be two years, for a total of three years, and half a time, which would be half a year, or three and a half years. You see how this is all pointing back to that uh, time of the tribulation? So, to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into a place where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. And the serpent was cast... Out of his mouth, uh, I'm sorry, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Look at verse seventeen. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Now, here's how we know. You know who is the woman? I like to say the phrase God's people because there's a transition. Because remember, at the birth of Christ, there was a transition from who were God's people. And and that's a whole other sermon for another time, and I don't have time to deal with it. But notice, at the beginning of the chapter, God's people were those who produced Jesus Christ. But at the end here in verse 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. What is the remnant of her seed? Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see that? So who are these people? They're believers. It's not, you know, uh, the nation of Israel today because they've rejected by and large the testimony of Jesus Christ. But we were engrafted in, we became, you know, part of the chosen people of God when we got saved. Now here's what you need to understand. When the devil is cast out, he's angry. He's full of wrath. Because he knows that his time is short. Because he only has a thousand two hundred and three score days. He only has a time and times and half a times. And he knows that he's running out of time. So he begins at that point to persecute the people of God which have the testimony of Jesus Christ. According to the Bible, not only has Satan not been cast out of heaven, but when Satan gets cast out of heaven... That, that event will initiate what we know as the tribulation period, or the great persecution of believers. Because when Satan gets cast out of heaven, he knows that he has a short time. And he gets to work with persecuting the people of God. Look, look at verse 13 again, because I want you to, I want you to notice this. Revelation twelve thirteen. 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, notice, he persecuted the woman, right? And who are the, who's the woman? Those that have the testimony of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 12, we're told that when Satan gets cast down, he begins to persecute God's people. In Revelation 13, it is explained to us how he does that. Notice Revelation 13, look at verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea. And saw a beast. Now the beast is the Antichrist. Again, I don't have time to go through and explain all that. Read the book of Revelation, you'll see it's pretty clear. But, and I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. And the beast, the antichrist, which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, that Satan, gave him the antichrist his power and his seed and great authority. Why did he do that? Verse three. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and the deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. I don't have time to teach about the antichrist when he says I'll do it. But here's what you got to understand about the antichrist. He's basically a fake Jesus. He comes on the on the scene. because what did Jesus? Jesus do? Jesus died and was resurrected. What is the Antichrist going to do? He's going to have one of his head, he's going to have, well look at verse 3, and I saw one of his head as it was were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered at the beast, this guy's going to get a, a, a wound to the head, he's going to get, I don't know, assassinated or something, but then he's going to come back and the entire world's going to say wow, look, this guy resurrected from the grave, imitating the ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4, and they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast and they worship the beast saying, who 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 is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue. Notice. To continue. Forty and two months. What is that? Three and a half years. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and men that dwell in in, in heaven. Verse 7. And it was given unto him. Notice. To make war with the saints. Do you see that? This is the tribulation theory. This is, uh, remember Satan went to make war with the remnant of her seed? Which had the testimony of Jesus Christ according to Revelation 12, 17. How does he do that? He does that by empowering this beast, by empowering the Antichrist. Why? To make war with the saints. Now those of you that hold a pre-tribulation pra- uh, position are going to have a problem. If you, you say, well, we're going to get raptured before any of this happens. Look, if all the Christians get raptured, then who is he making war with? It doesn't make logical sense. Now, we get accused of saying, well, you believe that God... I preached a whole sermon last night, uh, last week and I don't want to go there. But this is why you have to understand, the tribulation and the wrath of God are two different things. The tribulation is just the persecution of believers by the Antichrist. The wrath of God is God destroying this earth and punishing this earth for the sin. It's two different things. And they are divided by one event, the rapture. Uh, but I, I, I want you to understand there... That the Antichrist went to make war with the saints, verse 7, and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now Keith, uh, go go to Matthew just real quickly. Matthew chapter 24. Uh, Of course, the great Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24. Let me just prove to you that the time when Satan empowers the Antichrist to make war with the saints is the tribulation time. In Revelation chapter 24 and verse 9, it should be fairly easy to find, first book in the New Testament. Revelation 24 and verse 9, the Bible says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. Does that sound like persecution? And he shall be hated of all nations why for my name's sake does that sound like revelation 127 where he says that he made war with them who have the testimony of Jesus Christ and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. You can read the passage in its entirety later. We, we dealt with it a lot last week. But skipped on to verse 15. Notice what it said. When ye therefore shall see the abomination. I wish I had time to deal with this, but I don't. The abomination of desolation is the image of the Antichrist, which people are going to be forced to worship in order to receive the mark of the beast. You can find that if you want to jot this down. Revelation chapter 13, verses 14 and 18. If you cross reference. With the book of Daniel and the rest of the Olivet Discourse, you will find that the abomination of desolation is an image that is given power by the false prophet to be able to speak. And people are forced to worship this image, and when they worship the image, then they are given the mark of the beast, which allows them to buy and sell. Real believers and true believers will obviously not worship this image and will not receive the mark of the beast, and will be beheaded as a result of it. This is the tribulation time, the tribulation period. Notice verse 15. Now remember last week we talked about how it's, it's like a woman in travail. It starts off mild, but it gets worse and worse and worse. The persecution starts off kind of mild. But when you get to the abomination of desolation, it is to the point where uh, it's the worst it's ever been. I mean, notice verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let it understand. Now notice what he said. This whole time there's been persecution, right? They, they deliver you up to be afflicted, to kill you for my name's sake. But he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, and... and, and you need to read this on your own, but let me kind of just give you a timeline, okay? You have the Antichrist who's going to rise up as a political leader on this earth. As a, just a normal guy, you know, who's just real, you know, charismatic and, and good looking. And he's going he's to become some sort of a political leader. This guy is going to unite the entire world under a one world government. Not a one-world religion yet, a one-world government. Remember, Babylon comes from the idea of remember the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, in the Book of Genesis. Remember, they were a one-world they were one-world government, but they were a one-world religion. And God had to divide them up and spread them up. So, the Antichrist is going to unite the world under this one-world government. Then, this political leader is, I think, going to get shot in the head. And die. And people are gonna say, Oh no, our leader has been shot. But three days later he's gonna come back. And they're gonna wonder at it. They're gonna say, Wow! And there's gonna be a false prophet who's going to say, This man is God in the flesh. This man is is you know Jesus Christ or whatever. And they're gonna rise up this image, which is known as the abomination of desolation, and they will now begin to worship. So now he will have united the world under a one-world government and a one world religion. And he will declare himself God. And people will have to worship him. And at that time, at that time, the persecution of believers is going to become so intense. Look at verse 15, Matthew 24, 15. When he therefore shall see the abomination and desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand, then... not since the beginning of the world to this time no no, ever shall be pastor you don't understand the tribulation period is the time when God's going to right. wrath that's not what the bible says the bible says that when you see the abomination of desolation and they begin to kill you to the point where you don't even you just flee to the mountains and you don't even go back home to grab anything you just run God says that's the great tribulation such so as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor, nor ever shall be. Now, look, I know that there are books and commentaries and websites that are going to say what I just said is wrong. But you need to understand something. Those books are not the Word of God. And those commentaries are not the, book, the Word of God. And those notes you have in your school for your Bible are not the Word of God. I've just read to you the Word of God. Right. Then, verse 21, shall be great tribulations, great tribulations such as was not since the beginning of the world. To this time, no no ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So here's what I want you to understand: what, what begins, what kicks off this great persecution known as the Great Tribulation? Here's what kicks it off. Satan gets cast out of heaven. And he realizes, oh no, I have a short amount of time. And he, be, and he begins to empower this beast. In order to make war with the saints. Because he's down on earth with great wrath, realizing that his time is short. Because he only has 1,206 more days, or 42 months, time, times, and half the time. He only has a short amount of time, so he gets busy. Now here's what I want you to understand, because I know some of you are probably a little confused. You're thinking, oh, wait a minute, Pastor. So Satan has not been cast out of heaven yet? Here's what you need to understand, okay? Go back to Ezekiel 28. Did you keep your place in Ezekiel 28? Ezekiel 28, look at verse 15. Here's what we know about Lucifer. Lucifer was a created being. Lucifer was created by God. He was created as a cherub. Ezekiel 28 tells us. But notice verse 15. Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. He's talking to Satan. He said, Thou wast perfect. In the day from in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, you see that now. Do you remember the creation week, Genesis chapter 1? Remember when God created the heavens and the earth and all that in them is? Everything was created on in those six days of creation everything that's in heaven, everything that's in earth, and everything that's in them, including the angels and everything. Okay, and at the end of that week, God looked at his creation and he said that it was very good. Okay? So Satan, here's what we know. At the end of Genesis chapter 1, Satan, Lucifer, was created and he was perfect. Notice Ezekiel 15, That was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created, till or until iniquity was found in thee. Now there came a time when iniquity or sin was found in Satan. Now, the first time that we see Satan... ...is in the form of a serpent in the Garden of Eden... ...which is in Genesis chapter, who knows? 3. Okay, right? So here's what you understand. At the end of chapter 1... ...Satan is perfect. Beautiful. Full of wisdom. Full of beauty. But when we see him in chapter 3... ...with Adam and Eve... ...iniquity has already been found in him. So sometime between... ...his creation... ...and when he approaches Adam and Eve in the Garden... He, he has sinned in his heart, and he has become a fallen creature in the sense that he's a sinner, but he has not yet fallen from heaven. Does that make sense? Now you say, well, Pastor, you're saying that Satan, as a sinful creature, was not kicked out of heaven? Well, let me prove it to you. Go to Job, Job chapter 1. If you open up your Old Testament right in the book of Psalms, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms right in the middle. Right before the book of Psalms, you got the book of Job. Okay? Here's what we know about Satan. In Genesis chapter 1, Satan was created perfect. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, iniquity has been found in him. He has not been cast out, though. In his sinful state, we learn something about Satan from the book of Job. Job chapter 1, look at verse 6. Open up in the middle, you got Psalms. Right before Psalms, you got Job. Job chapter 1 and verse 6. Remember this? Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. Now, for those of you that know the book of Job, and I'm pretty sure all of you are pretty familiar with it. In the book of Job, is Satan a good guy or a bad guy? He's a bad guy. He's doing exactly what we're told he does in the book of Revelation. He's accusing the brethren. Because remember, he goes to God and God says, does not considered my servant Job? And he basically says, well, the only reason that Job serves you is because you're blessing him. If you quit blessing him and he curses you to your face, what's he doing? He's accusing him. And he's accusing him falsely because God says, okay, take everything he has. He took everything he has and Job said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then Satan comes back. and says, well, if you, you know, if you take away his health, he'll curse you. He says, okay, go ahead and take away his health. Just don't kill him. And, and Satan, and, and Job still would not Uh, curse God. But but here's what I'm you to see. Satan is in a sinful state in the book of Job. But notice, Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So Satan is in heaven. As a sinful creature. Do you see that? Look at verse 7. And the Lord said unto Satan. Whence comest thou? Or where are you coming from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. Satan does his thing with Job. Job refuses to curse God. Chapter 2, look at verse 1. Job chapter 2 and verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered, The Lord has said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. Now look, the Bible seems to allude to the fact that that Satan, as a sinful creature is allowed to go back and forth from heaven and earth. Now he walks to and fro in the earth, but he also goes up to heaven and the book of Revelation tells us he accuses the brethren. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8, you have to turn let me just read it for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about Seeking whom he may devour. Satan is walking about in this earth. And by the way, this is a sermon for another time. Satan is not in hell. Satan has never been in hell. The first time Satan goes to hell will be after the Battle of Armageddon. And and Satan is not going to get to heaven and be running the show. The Bible says that they are. That you know who's running the show in hell? The same guy that's running the show in heaven and on earth and in the entire universe. God is running the show in hell. The Bible says they are tormented in the presence of the Lamb. Satan's not going to be down there running the show. He's going to be in hell being tormented like everyone else. But Satan, I want you to see from the book of Job, he says, hey, I'm just going to and fro in the earth and walking about down in it. But then he also goes up to heaven and accuses the brethren, comes back to earth, does his mischief, goes back to heaven, accuses the brethren. He's allowed to go back and forth. Now there's going to come a time when Satan is going to go up to heaven, you know, to do his regular round, to say, hey God, I'm here, to accuse the brother. And God's going to take him and throw him down on earth and say, Satan, you are not allowed to come back up here. And at that moment, Satan's going to say, I have a short time. My time has run out. And I better get busy. And he's going to find a man called the Antichrist to get to persecute the saints. Because he realizes that his time is short. But see, here's what you've got to understand. The fallen state of Satan and the fall from heaven of Satan are two different things. Yes, he's a sinful creature in Genesis 3. He's a sinful creature in the book of Job. But he's still going up to heaven back and forth accusing the brethren. But it's not till he is cast out of heaven. In the tribulation period, when actually the tribulation period kicks off and he begins to persecute uh, believers, does that make sense? I know this stuff can get a little complicated sometimes. When Satan gets cast out, that kicks off the time of great tribulation, or persecution of believers. Go back to uh, Isaiah chapter fourteen. Isaiah chapter fourteen. Look at look at verse. Uh, I don't even know what verse we were in. Good night. Verse 12 again. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which week weaken the nations? Let me just say one more thing. People like to say, you know, he said, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? And they'll say, well, that's past tense. And even the Lord Jesus Christ, when he said, I beheld uh, Satan as lightning... Fall from heaven. Don't say that's past tense, but you gotta understand. This is prophecy, and and if you study prophecy, much of the prophecy is given as it already happening. There's prophecies in the book of Isaiah about the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross 700 years before the birth of Christ. And He's saying it as it's already. So you can't take prophecy being past tense and say, well, well, it, it already happened. Because as far as God is concerned, it already has happened. Does that make sense? Prophecy is often stated as already being in the past even though it hasn't happened yet. Because when God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Now let me, let me show you just one more thing about Lucifer. We are told that the name Lucifer means light bearer. And uh, you don't have to turn here just for, just for sake of time because I've got other things I want to show you. But um, we saw that the name of Lucifer in verse 12 is uh, connected with this phrase, son of the morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, if you want to write this down for your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14. The Bible says this about Satan. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So the Bible seems to allude to this idea of Satan being a creature that's filled with light. Let me show you one more thing about this phrase. This verse, Isaiah 14 verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which it's weaken the nations. This is a verse that is uh, often messed with in modern Bible versions. Now let me let me explain something to you, and, and you may not understand this, and if you don't understand what I'm saying, I, I want you to just hear out what I have to say and, and, and you can ask me questions afterwards if you'd like. But in Verity Baptist Church, we believe that we we only use the King James Bible in our church services. We believe that the King James Version of the Bible is God's inspired and preserved word for the English speaking uh, people. We have a DVD called New World Bible Versions, if you haven't watched it, it explains our position, and, and again, it's interesting. But we believe that today there is an attack by Satan on the Word of God. And we believe that many of the modern Bible versions have been messed with in order to change the Word of God. And let me show you an example of that. I have here in my pulpit, Brother Anderson... Senior, the older brother Anderson, gave me this a while ago. He said, if you ever preach about the NIV, he gave me this Bible that has the King James Bible and the New International Version uh, side by side. It's a parallel Bible. The New International Version is the most, uh, other than the King James Version, it's the most widely used Bible in America. It, most churches use the New International Version. And, and there's tons of, uh, of other versions that I could show you this, but the NIV... Is probably the most used, so I think it'll, it'll do well for, our, uh, for, for the example here. But if you have a King James Bible with you, I just want to show you something, okay? In Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, okay, if you've got a King James Bible, look down at verse 12, okay? And um, actually, you know what, let's do this. Go, go with me to the book of Revelation. Go back to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. And I know tonight is more of a teaching type stuff, so um, you guys are going to owe me tuition for this Bible college class, okay? Uh, and there's going to be a test. <laughs> uh, King, uh, let's see, Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse, we got to do this quickly because I'm running out of time. Revelation 22, look at verse 16, okay? Revelation 22, verse 16. Now you have a King James Bible in front of you, hopefully, kind of. And uh, so I'm going to read for you Revelation 22:16. 16. I want you to, to read... To to look at it in your Bible, as I read out of the King James, okay? King James Bible, Revelation 22, verse 16 says this, I, Jesus, Jesus is speaking. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Okay? In your King James Bible, Jesus, in Revelation 20:16, referred to himself as the bright and morning star. Are, are we all in agreement up to there? Okay, now you look down at your King James Bible and I'm going to read for you from the New International Version, Revelation 22, verse 16, okay? So you look down at your King James, I'll read out the NIV, Revelation 22, 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Do you see that? Did you see the, the similarities? Okay? According to the King James Bible... In Revelation 22.16, Jesus is the bright and morning star. According to the New International Version, Revelation 22.16, Jesus is the bright morning star. They remove the word and, that's okay, we'll let that slide. Right? But they basically agree. They're both saying the same thing. According to both the King James and the NIV, Jesus is the bright and And morning star, or the bright morning star. Go back to Isaiah chapter 14. Look at verse number 12. Now I'm going to read for you from the King James Bible, and you read along with me. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 from the King James Bible says this. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Alright? Did, did, that, did, did that fit with your King James that you have? Okay? According to the King James Bible, in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? We know that... Satan's name is Lucifer, and here's his title, Son of the Morning, right? According to our King James Bible. Now let me read for you the same verse out of the NIV. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, out of the New International Version. I'm gonna read to you out of the NIV while you read it from your King James and tell me if these two say the same, same thing. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. Was that the same as your King James Bible? What was different? Okay, number one, the name of Lucifer is gone. So, in the New International Version, you read it from Genesis to Revelation. You don't know that that the name is Lucifer. Now, who would want, who would be benefited by us not knowing the name of Lucifer, other than Lucifer? But notice this: according to the King James, Jesus in Revelation 16 is the bright and morning star. According to the NIV, Jesus and Revelation 22-16 is the bright and morning star. According to the King James, Lucifer is the son of the morning. But according to the NIV, Lucifer, or the one who has fallen from heaven, is the morning star. Do you see how the NIV gave Satan the title of Jesus Christ? You say, well, no, it's just easier to read. If it was just easier to read, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I have a problem with it because it calls Jesus Satan. I have a problem with it because it removes verses and it messes with doctrine. And here's what you got to understand. This has always been the agenda of Satan. Go to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. Genesis chapter 3. Notice the first time we found our friend Satan, and he's not our friend. But Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. This has always been the agenda of Satan. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Remember, God went to Adam and Eve and he said, You cannot, you can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, Don't eat of that tree. The day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And notice, Satan shows up in chapter 3. And he says, Yea, have God said? And he questions God's word. Notice what he says. You shall, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Because he says, Well, hey, God said that you can't eat of any of every tree. And she says, No, no, no. We can eat of all the trees. But, verse 3, Of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So, so Satan shows up and he questions the word of God. He says, Have God said, And he said that, that you can't eat any of the trees? And, and, and Eve says, We can eat of all the trees. There's just one tree we can't eat of, the one in the middle. Now notice verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, He shall not surely die. Now God said, He shall surely die. And he changes God's word. He says, He shall not surely die. You need to understand this about Satan. From the beginning, he has been in the, in the business of changing God's word. Of corrupting God's word. God says to Adam and Eve, Ye shall surely die. And Satan comes with his NIV and says, Ye shall not surely die. The Bible says that Lucifer, How art thou, O Lucifer, son of the morning, How art thou fallen from heaven? How art thou cut down? And the NIV says, No, 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 that wasn't Lucifer. No, 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 that wasn't the son of the morning. No, that was the morning star. It was Jesus Christ. The NIV attacks the deity of Jesus Christ. The NIV attacks salvation by grace through faith. The NIV removes key verses that prove that Jesus is God. Who but Lucifer would want to remove remove verses from a so-called translation of the Bible that proves that Jesus is God? Who but Lucifer would want to remove verses from a Bible in order to, uh, to attack salvation by grace through faith? Say, oh, it's just easier to read. If it was easier to read, we wouldn't have an issue with it. We have an issue with it because it's changed God's Word. It's warped God's Word. And that has always been the agenda of Satan. And if you don't understand that or that doesn't make sense or or you think, well, I'd like to notice, look more into that, talk to me after the service. I'd like to give you a New World Order Bible Version DVD. It'll, It'll show way more examples than just that. And it'll explain to you the attack on the Word of God. But that's just one example that I wanted to show you from Isaiah 14. Uh, but we, we got to move on. And by the way, uh, John 8, 44. Go back to Isaiah 14, verse uh, 13. While you go there, I'll, I'll uh, read for you out of John eight forty four. 44. Jesus said this about Lucifer, about Satan. He says, "Ye are of your father the devil. He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, "Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth. He abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar, and the father of him. And we see him in the garden of Eden lying and changing God's word. Go back to Isaiah 14. We're going to have to just finish here. But look at verse 13. Notice, notice Satan's sin. And notice, we're in Isaiah chapter 14. And have you noticed that there's a theme throughout the book of Isaiah so far? And it's a theme of God hating pride. Every chapter we've dealt with the pride of the people and the pride in their hearts. And notice in Isaiah 14 and verse 33, we're told why Satan was cast out of heaven. Verse 13, for thou hast said in thine heart, notice, notice this, you've got to underline this in, the, in your Bible. Notice what Satan says, I will ascend into heaven. Underline this, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Notice this, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation, in the sides of the north. Underline this in verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Underline this, I will be like the Most High. You know what Satan's problem was? I will. Do you see, it's a contrast from the Lord Jesus Christ who said, not my will be done. Jesus says, not my will. He said, thy will, Father, not my will. But Satan says, I will, I will, I will, I will. The problem with Satan was his will. You know what your problem is? Your will. Says, I want you to do this. And you say, Well, I want to. What are you saying? I will. And you're putting yourself before God? It's, it's a pride issue. It's always, been, it's always been a pride issue. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mountains of the congregation on the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. But notice this I will be like the Most High. People often teach Satan wanted to dethrone God, Satan wanted to take the place of God. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say that Satan wanted to take the place of God. The Bible simply says that Satan wanted to be like God. Do you see that? See, the agenda of Satan has always been the same. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Satan does not want to take the place of God. Satan just wants to become God. He doesn't mind being a different God. He says, hey, he can be the most high, and I'm just going to be like the most high. Did you you catch that in Isaiah 14 14? I will be like the most high. He didn't say, I will be the only most high. He said, I'll be like the most high. But you've got to understand this. From the beginning, this has been Satan's agenda. Are you back at Genesis chapter 3? Look at verse 5. Remember we just read that conversation? And notice what he says to Eve. For God does know that in the day he eat thereof, Remember, he's trying to convince her to eat of the of the tree. He says, for God does know. Remember, he just told her, "Ye he shall not surely die. He changed the word of God. For God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as what? God. Ah, you see that? Knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. See, Satan's agenda has always been this, of changing God's Word, and of teaching people that they can become like God, that they can become a God, and he wanted to be a God. He said, well, Pastor Jimenez, who believes today that people can become like God? Okay, um, how about the Buddhists who teach that... If you you know live a good life and you have good karma, eventually you're going to become reincarnated as something better. So you started off as a cockroach and you kind of got promoted to a caterpillar, and now you're a human. But but if you live a good life, then you'll die and you'll be reincarnated, and eventually you'll get to the place of godhood. That's what they believe. Say, so where did they get that from? Satan, isn't that what he taught? Eve, you shall be as God. Isn't that what he wanted? I will be like the Most High. What do the Hindus believe? Same thing. Did you know that the Mormons believe that a good Mormon will become the god of his own universe? You say the Mormons believe that? Uh, a man extreme religion in America believes that if you are a good Mormon, God will give you your own planet and you will be the God of that planet. And they don't believe that Jesus is the only God. They believe that Jesus is a God of many gods. And Jesus will one day a good Mormon who became God. And if you're a good Mormon you can become a good God of your own planet. And you can have all these Mormon wives and be impregnating them for eternity and they will have babies for eternity so that you can populate your earth. Doesn't that sound great, ladies? For all of eternity, you can be pregnant, and that's heaven. That's what the Mormons teach. You say, you say there's no way they teach that. Look, just ask the Mormon. Go on their website. That's exactly right. You say, who, who believes that? How about our society today who believes in hedonism, and that we worship man, and that basically man is God? How about the evolutionists who say that there is no God, and I am the God of my own life? I mean, how about the evolutionists who say that we started as a whatever and became a whatever and then a monkey and and eventually we're evolving and evolving and evolving and getting better and better and better and one day we're going to be God so where did all these ideas of us becoming like God come from I'll tell you exactly where they came from A guy who said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the cops. I will be like the most high. And then he goes to Eve and says, You can be like God too. You're not God. We must serve the true and only God. But this is the agenda of Satan. Change God's word. Teach people that you don't need God. You can be God. It's not his will. It's your will. What do you want to do? You want to go. This is Lucifer. Say, so why do we need to know this? Because he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. And when you start thinking, well, "I know the Bible says that I'm supposed to," but I want to, you may be influenced by Lucifer more than you think. Because what was his downfall? I will, I will, I will. What should we do? Like Jesus Christ, not my will, but Thy will pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be able to study the book of Isaiah, and to be able to study our enemy. Lord, there's a lot of false doctrine out there, and there's a lot of false Bible versions out there, and a lot of times people don't even know this. It's the first time they've heard it, and help us, help our eyes to be open, and help us to be able to understand the word of God, and to be able to see, Lord, to not, not shut our eyes, and, and, and to not be stubborn, but to see, wow. That verse did not read the same thing. God said one thing. He didn't say two different things. Help us to be open to the truth. Help us to resist the devil in our lives. Help us to not be like Peter and be influenced, Lord, but to be, to be able to realize that there are dem- there, there is a spiritual warfare going on. And Satan is trying to influence our lives and our way of thinking. Trying to help us to become self-centered. Almost like we are the God of our own universe. And help us Lord to be constantly just dying to ourselves and saying, not my will, but thy be done. We love you Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Well let's take our song books, we'll sing...